0: Does the Bible really support the supernatural interpretation of Genesis 6? What is the location of the supernatural portal between heaven and earth in the Old Testament? How does an angel conceive a child with a human woman? It's time to explore the secrets of the angels who sinned on this episode of Beginning and End. Welcome to Beginning and End with Ryan Peterson. I am your host, Ryan Peterson, author of Judgment of the Nephilim, a comprehensive biblical study of the fallen angels and the account of Genesis 6 when they took human women as wives, giving birth to human, half human, half angelic hybrids known as the Nephilim. So, Also, I am the author and founder of beginningandend.com, which is a Christian news site that covers end-time Bible prophecy, covers the Nephilim, has Bible studies, examines pop culture, and really is just devoted to exploring the deeper and supernatural aspects of the Bible, as is this show. So thank you for tuning in. Of course, Beginning and End with Ryan Peterson is a part of the dailyrenegade.com network started by our intrepid, fearless leader, Josh Peck, Skywatch TV host. And really, Daily Renegade is a platform for you. It is a platform for Christians to speak on all of these topics, whether it's things affecting the church, whether it's anti Bible prophecy, whether it's the supernatural or the paranormal, and to speak freely with no threat of Censorship, no threat of shadow banning or any of those things. This is a platform started by Christians to share God's word, not just with the church, but with unbelievers, with those in the new age, those involved in the occult. You are welcome here to hear what the Bible has to say about the supernatural. And so uh, you can learn more by subscribing to dailyrenegade.com. And I strongly encourage you to because not only will you get access to a great platform, you will also... Be supporting a great cause which is giving free speech to christians who want to really teach and promote sound doctrine and explore these issues so without further ado let's get to our topic today the secrets of the angels who sinned secrets of the fallen angels and we're going to look at some of the big questions that surround genesis chapter 6 and get the answers right from scripture so Without further ado, let's look at some of the questions we are going to examine today. So first off, we're going to look at, does the Bible, and we'll, we'll cover this one briefly, does the Bible support the supernatural interpretation of Genesis 6? Always have to establish that foundation. And where was this landing spot? Where did the apostate angels of Genesis 6 make their landing? The location of a supernatural portal between heaven and earth. It may not be where you think it is. And then we're gonna look at how can angel have a child with a human woman, right? The $64 million question, that's the biggie. And if time permits, we're also gonna look at a number that's assigned to the angelic realm in scripture. You know, God is a God of numbers. Numbers hold great significance in the Bible. And there is a number that is associated and assigned to the angelic realm. And so if we have time, we will get to that. This is going to be a two-part episode. We will also in the next episode explore how did the Nephilim return after the flood and are demons truly the spirit of the dead Nephilim giants? So let's get to our first question. Does the Bible truly support the supernatural or what I call the literal interpretation of Genesis chapter six? And so when we look at this topic, we always have to start with Genesis chapter 3 and what I call the ultimate prophecy Genesis chapter 3 verses 14 to 15. Now of course this is where Adam and Eve have been caught in sin. They have committed the first sin in human history and now God is pronouncing the judgments upon them. But in verse 14 we get to the judgment of the serpent and as we see here highlighted God tells the serpent. I will put enmity between thee the devil and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel this is what i call the ultimate prophecy because this is the prophecy of the messiah this is when the devil learned that his conqueror would not be the conquest and defeat of the devil would not be from God striking him down with lightning. It would not be a legion of angels attacking him. It was going to be a human child of son born of a human woman who would one day defeat him. This prophecy would set the course of human history for the next 6,000 years, because now the devil could turn his focus to humanity, right? Hebrews tells us that humanity was made a little lower than the angels yet it was going to be through inferior humanity inferior in all respects so so we think right because christ of course is fully man fully god but that it was going to be a human who would destroy him so from that point satan knew he had to either conquer and defeat that seed, that child that was going to be born, prevent his birth altogether, or just corrupt his entire race. And this is what brings us to Genesis chapter 6, is that once, once we get past, you know, I, I talk about in the book how Cain, was the first potential Messiah Cain of course and Abel were the first two children of Adam and Eve and I talk about how Cain was the seed of the woman he was the first seed of the woman so he from the perspective of the enemy right from the devil's perspective and the fallen angels Cain could have been the first Messiah and so what did the devil do of course he didn't kill him but he corrupted him and corrupted Cain so much that Cain killed his own brother Abel. Who, of course, also could have been a potential Messiah. So from the devil's perspective, it was almost like a two for one attack to take out two potential Messiahs in one felt swoop. But of course, God, in his mercy, banished Cain out of Eden altogether. When when Adam and Eve committed their sin, they were banished from the garden, from the paradise that God had built for them, personally built for them. But they still were in Eden. Cain was banished from Eden altogether, so his lineage grew out away from the godly lineage, which continued through Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, and this of course allowed humanity to grow and multiply. God told humanity, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So what this meant from the perspective of the ultimate prophecy was that now rather than having one or two sons who could have been the Messiah, now there were multiple Potential messiahs because humanity, the human population, was growing. And so this is when Satan's next counter-offensive came, and that was to launch a wide, large-scale attack. And this is what Genesis 6 was about. We're told that when men began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took wives unto them all they chose. Genesis six verses one to two. It was that population growth. That led to a different plan. And this is what led to angels being instigated to commit fornication with human women. And of course, this has been a part of church doctrine not only for centuries, but for millennia. And so, a lot of what I want to show and what I demonstrate in Judgment of the Nephilim in my book is that this has been a part of an understanding in the church since the first century. And we're gonna to go to a quote here from Justin Martyr, writing in, probably he lived from circa 100 to circa 165 AD. So he is right on the heels of the apostles of Jesus Christ. And this is what he wrote. And of course, Justin Martyr was a great apologist of the faith. Uh, He was killed uh, for his faith. He and his students, the, the term martyr comes from his name. And so let's see what he had to say about Genesis chapter six. Okay. And here we read God, when he had made the whole world and subjected things earthly to man and arranged the heavenly elements for the increase of fruits and rotation of the seasons and appointed this divine law for these things. Also, he evidently made for man committed the care of men and of all things under heaven to angels whom he appointed over them. But the angels transgressed this appointment and were captivated by the love of women. So right there, Justin Martyr is clearly saying that this all came from fornication between angels and human women. Now we're going to a quote from Tertullian. This is in 200 AD, circa 200 AD, Tertullian, of course, was an African uh, Christian theologian. He was the first Christian on record to date that we know who wrote of the Trinity, explained the doctrine of the Trinity and writing again on this illicit relationship between the fallen angels and human women, Tertullian wrote, we are instructed, moreover, by our sacred books. How from certain angels who fell of their own free will, there sprang a more wicked demon brood, condemned of God, along with the authors of their race, and that chief we have referred to. It will for the present be enough, however, that some account is given of their work. Their great business is the ruin of mankind." So, from the very first, spiritual wickedness sought our destruction. They inflict accordingly upon our bodies diseases and other grievous calamities, while by violent assaults they hurry the soul into sudden and extraordinary excesses. So here, Tertullian is very clear that he writes that we know that certain angels, of their own free will, they created a more wicked demon brood. So not only does he... Uh, use the term brood indicating reproduction they created they had offspring they had a brood but also he connects the nephilim to the demons as we're going to see later in this episode uh, that the demons indeed are the spirits of the dead nephilim and we can know that from the bible so clearly tertullian again we see early from thousands of years ago and i pull many different sources from the church fathers all the way to the 17th 18th and early 19th century that this was the understanding in the church that this indeed took place that this was a supernatural interpretation the sons of god were not merely men godly men who were seduced by ungodly women but these were in fact fallen angels the benai ha elohim as they are called in hebrew These were angelic beings who had illicit relationships with human women. So which takes us to question number two. Where did the angelic invaders land on Earth? And this is really, again, an important part of what I want to show in in the book was that we can really the bible contains so much information on the fallen angels and the nephilim and even information you won't find in any other text out there whether it's an apocryphal book uh the book of enoch other religious texts you won't find it but the bible has a lot of details and a lot of exciting details and this is one where you know the common thought is that the angels who committed this sin in genesis 6 have landed on the earth at Mount, Herm- Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon. And of course, this is established from the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch says it quite clearly and explicitly that these angels landed up Mount Hermon, took an oath to commit this sin, and then went and took human wives. But is that what the Bible says? You know, it does not. And in fact, the Bible points to another location that has much, much more supernatural significance all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. And I submit that that is the location of the angelic landing before the events of Genesis chapter 6. And that location is the Jordan River. So I want to go to a quote here again from one of the early church theologian's origin. And this is what he had to say about the Jordan River. Jordan means they're going down. The name Jared is etymologically akin to it, if I may say so. It also yields the meaning going down, for Jared was born to Malaliel. As it is written in the book of Enoch, if anyone cares to accept that book as sacred in the days when the sons of God came down to the daughters of men. So we see right here that the Jordan River origin, even though he references the book of Enoch, he connects the Jordan River to the place of their descent because the actual name means they're the place of their descent. So we see here, just looking at the idea of the Jordan. it or Yarden in Hebrew, it means descender or they're going down. Its root is the same root as the name of Jared. Now, from the Apocryphal text and even from the biblical chronology, Jared was alive during the time of the angelic invasion of Genesis 6 in the days of Jared is when this all started. Also, when we look at the significance of biblical locations, Mount Hermon is not really given that much significance in the Bible. It's referenced, of course, it's connected to pagan worship in some passages in the Old Testament, but it's not really that important of a location. Whereas the Jordan River is mentioned 179 times in the Bible and is an extremely significant location all throughout scripture. So let's look at some examples. The first the first reference we see to the Jordan River is in Genesis chapter 13, and this is when Abraham and Lot are in a dispute. Their servants are getting into a dispute. They're sharing land. And their servants are getting into, they're basically fighting with each other. So they decide to split their land and take their their servants to separate areas so there will be no more conflict between their houses. And notice what we read here. Of course, this is a strife between the herdman of Abram's cattle and the herdman of Lot's cattle. And Abraham, being a, a gracious, godly man, tells Lot that, hey, you know, here's the whole land before separate yourself. And if you will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And notice when Lot's evaluating this land, it says he lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. So right here, you know for the bible student your radar should just be should just be beeping going off all the alerts should be going off when you see a comparison to the garden of god to the garden of eden the bible is trying to point out that there is something supernatural there's some supernatural illusion or property or element to this location and where does lot see this at the plains of jordan the plains on the shores of the jordan river so the first time it's mentioned it's compared to the garden of eden but let's continue Let's look at some more of the supernatural events that took place either in the Jordan or at its shores. So we see uh, in Genesis chapter 28, when Abraham's grandson Jacob was in Bethel, due west of the Jordan River, this is where he has the famous dream of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. Of course, this is Jacob's ladder and God standing above the top of the ladder, Genesis 28 verse 12. This is again, took place due west of the Jordan River and what were the angels doing ascending and descending to earth. In the days of Moses, the Jordan River served as the gateway to the promised land, right? The promised land is a type and shadow of heaven. And God took the Israelites when they left Egypt after the Exodus, they marched pretty much around almost the entire perimeter of the country of the land of Canaan of Israel in order to cross into the country at the Jordan River. God specifically wanted them to enter at the Jordan River. The Jordan River is also the western border of the kingdom of the Nephilim kings, Og of Bashan and Sihon. They set up their kingdoms, these mighty kingdoms where they had these megalithic fortresses, right? They said that the the kingdom of Og, he had 60 cities and they were walled up to heaven. They were built on the shores on the on of the Jordan River they were east of the Jordan River when that when Joshua was going to enter the promised land it's interesting we look in Joshua chapter 3 he's now leading after the 40-year wilderness march he's leading the Israelites into the promised land and where does it take place at the Jordan River and God performs a miracle at the Jordan River by parting the water and he does this notice why this is being done Let's go right to the text and we read "And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord, your God. And Joshua said, hereby, ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites behold the ark of the covenant of the lord of all the earth passes before you into jordan so god's telling them we look at what's highlighted that the way god was going to establish that he's going to defeat all the nephilim infested nations in the land of canaan was by performing this miracle at the jordan river he says this is how you're going to know that i'm with you and how you will know that i will conquer all these kingdoms and he tells them Take, take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man it should come to pass. What does he want them to do? To walk across the Jordan River. God's going to part the water and their feet are going to walk on dry ground. This is a recreation of what up to this point was the greatest miracle God performed, the parting of the Red Sea, which was the conquest of Egypt and their mighty armies the most powerful kingdom on earth god is going to perform this miracle again and of course the israelites obeyed and as they brought the ark of the covenant to the jordan river the waters parted and they walked on dry ground and crossed over and it's amazing too that you know this this uh it says they, they they passed over on dry ground until All the people are passed clean over Jordan. Think about this. They are going through the water, supernaturally being led by the ark, the ark which represents the word of God, leading Israel into the promised land. I mean, what a powerful picture of salvation, that it's God who supernaturally saves us and delivers us into heaven, right? Being led by Joshua, Yeshua, right? His name is Yeshua, the same name as Jesus. So this is just beautiful, amazing Uh, typology and where is it taking place at the Jordan river also of interest was that there was another, another ritual that God told the Israelites to perform at this time. He told them to take 12 stones from the floor of the Jordan river and erect a mound on the shores of Gilgal after they crossed the Jordan as a memorial of the great miracle God performed. This is in Joshua chapter 4. And here's a commentary on this miracle. This is from uh, Levison Harcourt writing in 1838. When they, the Israelites, crossed with dry feet through the River Jordan, it was a very suitable occasion for combining the memory of that miracle with the commemoration of the greater deliverance from the power of the waters granted to their ancestors, the family of Noah. Wherefore he, God, ordered each tribe to set up a stone in the channel which should be visible above the waters, and accordingly those stones remained up to the period when the book of Joshua was written, witnesses of the miracle and the lively emblems of the flood-surrounded mount. So again, you know, isn't it interesting that Harcourt connects this ritual to the days of Noah? That's a testament to God's provision, to God's salvation, There were another 12 stones as well that the israelites were told to put on the bottom and leave on the bottom of the sea and so it's almost like a picture of those who trust in god making it to heaven and those who don't perishing in the flood waters of judgment right side note those 12 stones that were placed on the shores of gilgal the ones that made it across the jordan river that memorial you know that was the same location where you know, uh, 1,500 years later, Jesus Christ would point to those stones. And, you know, this was called at the, uh, the the place of the crossing and say that God, if need be, would raise up those stones to worship him, to worship Christ. It was at that same location. But let's continue with the Jordan River and look at other events. So Now let's go to the prophet Elijah. So we know Elijah, and this is in First Kings chapter 17, he... Uh, When he was on the run from King Jezebel and I'm sorry from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel he uh, fled to the Brook Sharith the Brook Sharith is a brook of the Jordan River and of course God instructed him to go there and what happened he was fed supernaturally by ravens and the ravens these are carnivorous birds brought him bread and meat In the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the waters of the Jordan River at the Brook Sharif. He was supernaturally taken care of at the Jordan River. Of course, later on, just a few chapters later, in 2 Kings chapter 2, we see that Elijah is raptured to heaven at the Jordan River. So again, you know, Elisha and the other uh, members of the school, of the prophets, they they talk to Elisha, the protege of Elijah, who took over the mantle as the prophet to the nation uh, after Elijah was raptured. And Elisha knows this is going to happen at the Jordan River. And of course, they go and stand and witness this. And what do we see? It came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and part of them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So think about that. The heavenly realm opened up for Elijah to enter heaven at the Jordan River. In 2 Kings 5, you know we have the, the Syrian military commander Naaman. Remember, he had leprosy, which in this time, that was a death sentence. And Elisha, of course, healed him. But how was it done? Elisha told Naaman to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And when he emerged, he was fully healed. His skin was clean and he was a believer. Look at what's highlighted. He says, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel that happened at the Jordan River. Here I mentioned in Revelation 9, I mentioned the four angels who were bound in the great river Euphrates. What I point out in the book is that rivers in general are places of manifestation for angels all throughout the Bible. And so this was just one example of how they manifested rivers and were even bound in rivers. And in uh, my current research, I'm actually going to explain the significance of the time frame for which these angels were prepared, but stay tuned for that. And then we'll give one more example of the Jordan River significance. Of course, I think the greatest example of the supernatural aspect of the Jordan River in Scripture is the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we find a description of this in Matthew chapter 3. And so now Jesus has come from Galilee to Jordan, traveling about 60 miles. Jesus was very determined to get to the Jordan River this day to be baptized. And of course, John didn't want to do it, he said, But I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, look what happens here the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so isn't it amazing? Again, we see at the Jordan river, heaven opening, The portal to heaven, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm intersecting. And what does the Holy Spirit do? It descends on top of Jesus like a dove. And of course, we have God. And of course, Let's not forget, again, when we think about the flood, Noah sending a dove out onto the waters. And here we have a dove again, the spirit coming out as a dove on him and God speaking from heaven. It's a full intersection. The heavenly realm was on display. Human beings heard God speaking from heaven. And where? At the Jordan River. And it's almost like as if God is saying that, you know, there was a descent here before, and there may have been beings who came down to this river before, but this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God was pronouncing to the world make no mistake. This isn't some angel. This isn't this isn't one of the sons of God, the Benachah Elohim. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And this was at the Jordan River. So again, just amazing. And I give even more examples in the book. I call in the book I call the Jordan River the Area 51 of the Bible, because there are so many supernatural events that take place there, and not to mention the fact that. Why would the Israelites have called it Jordan to begin with? It's called the place of their descent. Why would they call it that unless there was a famous descent that took place there? And I believe it was the angels of Genesis 6, not at Mount Hermon, but at the Jordan River. Okay, so at this time, as we get ready for our next question, we are going to be moving to uh, just the Daily Renegade only section. So if you have not subscribed, you need to, because I'm going to explain from Scripture how an angel can have a child with a human woman and get into what is the special number in Scripture assigned to the angelic realm. You don't want to miss any of this and you can watch it all by subscribing to dailyrenegade.com the information is on the screen as well as in this video description again it's ten dollars a month you will get not just this content you will get josh peck you will get gary wayne you will get uh many other hosts about 13 different programs you'll get articles every week it's going to be awesome i strongly encourage it and uh, we will continue on the daily renegade side in a moment